Welcome to Michigan HockeyCast 5.24, where losing in a national semifinal is definitely getting old. You keep reaching over here trying to grab the wheel from me, so I will give it to you for one opening. So you were at the Frozen Four? I was at two of the three games, yes. And what number of Frozen Four was this? For me? Yep. This as as a just as a human being or in the press box? In the press like just at the game, physically. Physically at the game, I was at like one and a half in oh eight. Because we went to the a little bit of the Nodak and uh, Nodak uh, Nodak and BC game, and then I was at the national championship game in eleven. So one, two and a half went to both in eighteen. So four and a half we were at both in last year. So six and a half, and then I guess eight and a half games. So you've been for the five Michigan games. Five Michigan over games. Five years. Yes. Um. So my thought process was. At the end of that game, I was sort of like, how do you keep doing this to yourself? <laughs> and then I remembered that I was a Detroit Lions fan. And then I dropped it. I mean, I am all. I used to be, I guess, kind of, whatever. Like, I have not watched an inning of the Mets this year. <laughs> not Self, just, not self-restraint. Just, I mean, okay. So part of it is it's our job, right? Like, we have to do this. And... Hockey, I think, you know, football is kind of like that, too, because, you know, there's a sudden death in uh, the NFL. Yeah. But, like, overtime in hockey is, and even, like, overtime meaning, like, the third period in a tie game, essentially, a lot of times becomes overtime. Like, it's just always the most terrifying, right? Like, anytime the puck comes inside the blue line with any sort of speed whatsoever, you're kind of like, oh, God, oh, God. Right? Yep. I mean, that's just how it is. Um well, it's the re- same reason that I kept going back to Ohio State, right? And yep. then this year at Ohio State, that was one of the best sporting experiences of my life, that anything else can happen, and they can never take that away from me. So if you're there and Michigan wins a national championship, I mean, would you want to be there when the when the Lions win a Super Bowl? I've answered this many times, but I cannot well, you don't, be allowed you, at a Lions Super Bowl. You don't, you don't even go to games. You don't like going. In- do you enjoy going to games? I don't think you do. Um, it depends. It depends on the atmosphere and, and the whole situation. I think that, generally speaking, you can see better on TV, and it allows you to, you know, so decompress. In some like senses, that. you're correct. But above us at this game were a bunch of televisions. So I got to see a replay on everything. So, like, a goal would be scored or something would happen, and everybody would, like, roll back, tilt their heads up, and we'd all be looking at the screens. By the and way, we'd was, kind of talk was the press box, like, a proper gondola? Uh, no. We were above the last The row. last row, yeah, because yeah. I, I saw a picture from somebody who was at the press box, and I was like, oh, that's different. Because I've been to three NHL arenas. I've been to XL no. Energy for Minnesota. I've been, I've been to Boston for the TD Garden, and I've been to LCA. You've been to Toronto? No, I mean as a media. Oh. Yeah, I've been to Toronto and Tampa as a fan. But okay. in media, I've been to three, and all three were the same thing. Like, it was a gondola hanging from the ceiling where you're looking straight down without, like, fans or whatever. The pictures Wait, I saw... There, there weren't fans behind us at Boston, were there? 
No. Right. Yeah, it was just it but we're it was like it was a proper like gondola part, of the, part type of the wall. It was like we were like above that, right? Okay. Like the photo I saw from the press box made it look like it was assembly hall when I was there in the media row where it was like the fans are like kind of right there and so, it was not it didn't look like a great view of the game. I will tell honest. you that and I talked to a guy right before is that they screwed up when they built the structure of this because the only way, well, or so I thought the only way to get up to the press box was to take, like, the trash elevator. So, like, and it's one of those, like, massive elevators that you can fit a bunch of people, but they take the dumpsters in. Yeah. And so, that's the only elevator. Was it a slow elevator? I mean, it that was... that one in Boston last year was <laughs> unbelievably slow. It was slower than the Yoast elevator. It wasn't fast, but it, it wasn't helped by the fact that and trash the, keeps the... <laughs> getting off at every other stop. So it it has like four or five stops when you're going up and down. Yeah. So what happened is I found that there, if you do it right, there are two or three back stairs routes. And I mean, I feel like I can take stairs relatively quickly a lot faster than I can stand around in a very small lobby with about 50 people all wanting to cram into a trash elevator. So I ended up taking the stairs up and down. Also, I could go out into the different levels and see different people that I knew, which, you know, was a lot more accessible than taking that ridiculous elevator. It also means that once you get down to the floor and you ate, like you're just not going back because it was a long way and it wasn't worth it. But um, did you like uh, Emily Arena, though? Uh, I thought Boston's was better. TD Garden was better in a number of ways. So Emily Arena was the first NHL arena besides the Joe that I ever went to. Okay. And this was in 2011, when was this? 2010, 2011. Okay. And I remember thinking it was like the palace of all arenas, like the, well, the greatest arena I'd ever seen because it was like, oh my God, they have other food options besides Little Caesars. <laughs> like they have a gift shop that, that was... isn't like uh, jerseys up against a rack at the county fair. Like, <laughs> I mean, that was also 12 years ago. Right. But, like, I remember walking around and they had, like, an Outback Steakhouse, like, mini restaurant. I'm like, man, this is really different than the Joe. <laughs> Did you ever go to the Miami Marlins Arena and go to the Clevelander for, like, the dance club in left field? N no, but I was actually, this is a weird story. I was at the inaugural game of Marlins Arena, their new one. Marlins Park or whatever? Whatever it's called. The new one? Yeah. In 2012? 2012. We yeah. were there opening day. For the celebration station and with the home run sculpture? Yeah, they brought... <laughs> Muhammad Ali was there. They, oh, they had him on a cart. <laughs> I, it was... <laughs> okay. We were on vacation in Miami. We wanted to go to a Marlins game, and it was opening day for they their played, new stadium. They uh, played... Was it the Cardinals? The Cardinals, yeah. yeah. I don't uh, know I remember that. So... Peter probably watched that game. Uh, but anyway... So... I Okay, the other part is like, okay, and we probably talk about this, and I mean, we'll get into this maybe even in the next two weeks, but, you know, you do football, and, you know, by the end of the season, it, it wears on you a little bit, and then you kind of come out of Christmas, and you're into hockey, and then it's kind of two and a half, three, hopefully longer than three, like the past couple of years, months of, you know, one to two podcasts a week, a couple of write-ups on top of everything else, and so... By the end of it, you're a little, hey, uh, I'm ready for a couple weeks where, like, I don't have to, like, watch an intense hockey game on a Friday and a Saturday night, you know? So, there's a part of me that was, like, not excited to go. But I knew that once I got there and I get into the arena, like, you're sitting there and you're watching the first game. And then you know Michigan is coming out and you see their, their, the, 
block M on all of the logos around town and everything. And like, what am I going to do? Not be there? Like, I, I just like that's just not something that I, they're not wired like that. So it's it, it you get you get kind of worn down because you're just doing the same thing and you're ready for a bit of a break. But like, I don't know. I I just I couldn't imagine not being there. Every Frozen Four that Michigan has been to s- since I entered the university as a freshman, I've been at. And I assume that it's going to be pretty much like that for the relatively foreseeable future. I will say that on that point, you familiar with an emotional hedge? I mean, sure. Where you bet against the team oh, you cheer for, right? Yeah, I, that, I hate that, but yeah, okay. So doing this job is a phenomenal emotional hedge. Because, doing it is? Right, because the if Michigan had won that game, then I was going to have to put out a column the next day and then a preview on Saturday. And they lose. I'm like, oh, I'm out for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a thing that went through my <laughs> so there, mind. So there's just that little bit of incentive that is a, a little bit of a boost. So there was a thought when the fourth goal goes in. Yep. That I mean, that was it, pretty much, right? Like yep. they, they were going yep. to take a miracle, and I was like, oh, I only have one more of these, like tonight, <laughs> and that's it. And then there was like a a like a bit of peace in my like mind about like. I don't have to go through this again in yep. like two days. And then I woke up Friday and I was like, oh, I don't have to go through that again tomorrow. And I was disappointed. Like I really was just one time I'd like to like try that again. You know, I got, I didn't, I, I, I didn't go to the North Dakota game in 11. I only went to the national championship uh, game yeah. uh, because of life circumstances. But like, so I never, I didn't even get to experience that one win that Michigan's had in Frozen Fours since yeah. whatever two thousand. No, what is it? Ninety eight, really. Um, that you know, it would. I'd like to do it. It would be fun to be there for it. It would be fun to sit there and be like, man, in two and a half hours, we could be going insane. I I will say that the other emotional hedge is not being there relative to when I have been there. That. 2018, 2021, or 2022, when I was at the Frozen Fours, I feel like if you're there and then they lose and you booked there for several days and you had your hotel, you know, planning to be there for the Saturday game and then there's no Saturday game, then it's just like, man, this hurts. Whereas uh, being at home, it's like, oh, they lost. Bummer. Just move on. Move on. I've got other things to do this weekend. So you were in Boston. We were in there together last year. But did you have fun on Friday? And well, you left Saturday morning. Yeah. Uh, it was a decent Friday. Was decent. It was nice weather. I got to walk around a bit, but still, it, it's just that. I mean, when we were in Minnesota in 2018, went to the Mall of America. You know, so you different. stuck around afterwards. Yeah, we went downtown okay. Minneapolis, walked around, yeah. blah blah blah. Like it's nice sightseeing, sure, but it's just that emptiness because you you made arrangements yeah. to be there through Saturday, and now you like. It would be fun to experience a Friday where you don't have anything to really do. Well, that was the thing. I was going in like, oh, this will be fun. Like, you can beat uh, QPAC, then Fantilli will win the Hobie, and we'll be all jazzed up on Friday afternoon, and then blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then it's like, nope. Eh. Okay, the other at thing, least I don't have to work. The other thing about Tampa was that it was so hot. Like, it was... Do you remember Minneapolis in 2018? It was freezing. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was... Like in the nineties, yeah, that's hot. And so, like, even when I'm gonna go to the Thursday game, like I was walking around in like my Michigan T-shirt with my sweater over my shoulder, and then I'm like 
I was with some friends and they went to go do something else and I was going to go enter into the game and I'm like walking there and I was like oh uh oh I better put my sweater on <laughs> so I'm like walking in my like sweater in like 90 plus degrees and so like that part I'm like I'm kind of out for that stuff like I, if Frozen 4 needs to be it doesn't have to be like 25 degrees but it can't be that hot like that's not it, it didn't feel real just put it in Detroit every year and we'll guarantee 52 degrees and cloudy and like rain yeah light rain awful and <laughs> just yeah well it was gonna be in detroit but it got coveted right yeah don't bring that up <laughs> i'm still angry about yes. that i was wondering if they were gonna bump them or if you just say sorry michigan i again don't bring that up. okay can i bring up the oh you know what else we got to hear they're doing announcements uh for like you know uh, like future years and stuff and they're like here's more NCA sites coming to a city near you and i was like <laughs> no they're not <laughs> sorry dude <laughs> they're actually like a day's drive away did you get a phony parking ticket i didn't have a car so okay. that would have been really hard i did get a parking pass and no one was there and I ended up having to pay for parking so brian if you're listening you're getting a charge for parking when I went, I went to a second Lightning game in 2018 when I was down in Tampa for softball. Okay. And we parked in a flat lot near the arena. Okay. And we paid up front. You know, there was a guy there. So yeah. we handed him, you know, whatever, cash. And we parked, go to the game, come out, and there's a ticket on the car. Was it from the same guy who was trying to get double paid? So initially we were like, what? We paid for parking. Yeah. We were just at the game. Like, what is this? Well, then we drove back to the hotel and looked at it. And it was from a private company. Not from the police. And it was like called this like 1-800 number. And so we called him up and it was just like an automated voice. And so we were like, I'm not paying this. This seems like a scam. And we never paid it. No one ever complained. And it was a rent-a-car too. They never came after us is or that anything. What, is that so. what the guy in the trench coat behind your apartment is? Is like <laughs> the guy that's following up that you didn't ever send him his 35 bucks. <laughs> so do you think you'd go to another one? Frozen 4? Yeah. So I said that I was not going to go to another Frozen 4 because they kept losing in overtime or pseudo You were laying on your bed, and we were talking yeah. last year, and you were like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> well, you know, I said I wouldn't do it until they didn't lose in overtime, and guess what? They didn't lose in overtime. So, so now you can come back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess we should. Is that all you had? Yeah, no, okay. I mean, we, we've delayed it long enough. <laughs> well, I don't think we delay it. We also can, we're going to talk about the game. Um, so we should get into it. Uh, all right. Um, so it was kind of interesting because did you, you watched the first game, right? Like mostly yeah. rel relatively intently. Yeah, I got back um, like 5.05. So I missed the first two minutes. Okay. And I watched most all. So of the, the thing that I found really interesting about the first game is they called a lot of penalties. There were like three penalties on each team yeah. in the first period. Well, there was that situation at the end of the second period where there was okay. a penalty fast with the five on three. Sure, sure, sure. But I, but even in the first period, I think each team had like two or three sure. penalties, which I was then a little bit nervous of. I, I couldn't tell if I was like, okay, good, get these refs out of the way and like have them ref this game and then give us like not a ref fest versus a bunch of penalties. And um, so then in like what, the first few shifts of the game, Michigan takes a penalty. Edwards gets called for a trip, and so QPAC is already on the power play, and, and you're just kind of a little nervous because the game didn't start super great, and then now they have 
you know, a power play chance early, and it's like, oh, this could like really go downhill fast. It was a big opportunity, but you needed a kill, and and Kupak doesn't have a great power play, so you just needed to hold serve there. Right, but Michigan, but if there's one thing coming into this sure. weekend that isn't bouncy, fluky randomness that you're thinking could be Michigan's downfall, surprise, it wasn't. Sure, but it's the penalty kill, right? Yeah, I mean that's a fair statement. So Edwards gets called for a trip. Um, Quinnipiac doesn't get a ton of great looks. Um, they had a couple sh- open shots-ish. But the crazy part is, like, right at the very end, they have, like, two guys that are sitting just outside the crease. And Portillo gets over to them, is facing them. And he's far... The guy's far enough away that he doesn't, like, really have to shoot. And Portillo can't, like, reach out and, like, try to take the puck off of him or poke check him. So they're just kind of, like, um, staring at each other. Almost like one of those Western gunfights. Sure. Where you're just, like, see who's going to draw first. Yeah. And they didn't really end up getting a great look on it. And I don't think Portillo, like, snagged him out of the air or anything. But it was a very interesting situation where, like, they're just looking at each other. And then it kind of happens again. And not, and they end up avoiding it. Um, but that was, uh, that was a little unnerving to start. Um, and then right after the kill is when... Uh, the goal kind of goes in. There's a Portillo like misplays a puck behind the net that starts it. He flubs it a little bit. Yeah, he's way too way too slow to play it. Yeah, and it gets ends up being turned over. It's not like a it's it's not like an, a wandering goal where you know we've seen him go get the puck and pass it and then he's out of the net. But he doesn't play it correctly. Ends up getting back in and then. You end up with the bank, the first of the two bank goals that like go off. Is this one off his skate? I think, or is it? Yes. Or does this one go off his elbow? Uh, I think it's like the elbow. Yeah. Basically. Okay. So he lifts it and it goes off of him. It's and- a point shot that comes in. He blockers it up and over the net. At first, the very first, he doesn't know where it is. Then he looks behind himself, sees it's behind the net, and it's. And he still doesn't really move. He doesn't move. He's he's still yeah. on his knees. He kicks the the left pad out so he's got the skate up against the post, but it's not doing anything. And his body is still out by the So it's like extended. Yeah, out by the edge of the crease. Yeah. And then the Quinnipiac guy, you know, takes the shot and banks it off of him and in. And it's I mean, that can happen once in a great while. Like that those goals will happen, but um it's not one that you really want to give up in a perceived low event, low goal affair. I have a decent ability to get a feel for where the goaltending's at and then extrapolate. And when I saw that one, I was like, Michigan's not winning this game. That was going to be like, tough. if that goal's going in, it's not. Michigan well, and that's, tonight. that's, he just didn't look comfortable in those first five or so minutes. Cause right before they put that goal in, there's, he misplays the puck behind the net. Then there's yeah. a mad scramble in front. He's, two feet outside the blue paint sitting there and they're just lucky it doesn't get knocked in for the stare down. It's just like, man, oh man, what is, what is going on here? He needs to settle in. Well, and right after that, Quinnipiac gets a three on one and they're coming back and you're like, uh Oh, and Karen actually lays down and and makes a really nice play to break up the pass. Um, Karen's a guy we'll talk about later because, um, he just, this kind of personifies him, not necessarily in an odd man rush, situation yeah that was the one where he did the tj brody right he went down he just lays slid, down and yeah, like yeah like took it out yeah yep. and just took away all the lanes and passed and and kind of saved michigan's bacon for a minute minute there and then seamus casey goes full mccarr or bobby Orr, as you called him 
um, just going through like, what, three guys from the left point, deeks a couple of guys, skates in, gets the front of the net. But the cool thing here is he doesn't like settle. Like once you get to the front of the net there, you have a tendency to be like, oh, I made it. I'm going to shoot. But he doesn't. He kind of pulls the puck back, goes around Parrots, who commits to him. And Parrots isn't the largest goalie. So you get your stick out and away and he can just kind of tap it in the backside. I thought that Quinnipiac's uh, far side defenseman didn't really do a good job of like coming, coming over and shutting the door and just sort of letting him finish instead of like trying to body him at all. But um, I mean, anytime you get walked like that, you didn't play it right. No, no, I meant the other guy. Okay. From the sure, opposite sure. side. He just kind of like stuck his stick out and be like, no, no, don't yeah, do that. Yeah, but at the same time, he's not necessarily expecting Casey to deke the goalie too. Yeah. Um, because the risk you run if you bite down hard there is if he doesn't bang, you know, uh, deke the goalie, then you plow the goalie right over, right? That's true. Riding in hard. As uh, various people on the internet who are also Red Wings fans correctly identified this as essentially the same move that Darren McCarty pulled in the 1997 Stanley Cup Finals game four to clinch the Red Wings' first Stanley Cup um, of that era. It's the exact same move. He comes in on a defenseman, drag, toe drags around, comes right in on net, dangles around, and just finishes around, far yeah. side and tucks it in. I mean, it's the exact same move. Um, it's just really cool. Uh, no no I mean, other that's way to his, play it. that's his play of the year, right? Yeah, I mean, he's got the best hands on the team, and that includes all the forwards. I mean, I don't it's, think there's any question about that. Yeah, I mean, you. But we've we've also seen snippets of that all year. Sure. Like he's made little yeah. plays and like that. that. Was, and that was the scouting report coming in. Yeah. So I mean, when that happens, then you're kind of like, okay. The problem with it is it's almost a little bit like getting a kick return for a touchdown, where yeah. you're like, hey, sweet, we scored, but we didn't really do anything. One yeah. guy just went all world for about three or four seconds, and now we tied the game. Which a lot of times, honestly, is what you need, yeah. especially against a team like Quinnipiac. That's going to be really structured defensively if you have a guy that just goes hey i'm going to be an elite nhl defenseman maybe one day yeah i mean it's also like a turnover i mean remember when uh, michigan got that turnover by ohio state in the 18 game right on the goal line right after they'd scored and they got another touchdown and it was like wow we're almost tied now how did that happen (laughs) well yeah the one the one that came to my mind was the ambry Ambry against notre dame yeah yeah. but so it's one-to-one and then you kind of feel a little bit better um the problem there is that like the OMRs don't really stop uh, ever, actually. And, you know, you just get a slow change, and Portillo had to come out and made a nice save on, was it Jake Johnson, I think? Jacob Johnson is. and um, But then you get another bad change, and Hughes is late to get back, and you, you get Quinlan in again, beats him in at an angle, and a, a nice stretch pass hits between the defensemen, and, and Quinlan just beats Portillo five hole, which like you said, is not a great goal to give up from Portillo, but it's also a breakaway. And like, I don't know, it it gets, it gets really hard to get upset at goalies for giving up breakaway goals. Like I understand that. Yeah. You don't want to get scored on four out of five, but in the end, this ended up being the only odd man rush scored. And there were three breakaways and one, two on zero. And so giving up one goal out of those four is, I mean that's kind of a win, isn't it? In the end, uh, probably. I mean, if I mean, you what? What do you at think? At the end of the day, if this is the only goal that Portillo gives up, you're fine. And that's what I'll say about it. Um, he made enough saves in similar situations that you're okay giving this one up. You'd always prefer to be beaten over the glove or something like that, sure. you know, ripped bar down, etc., than to go five hole. What I was confused about with this play, and I'd have to go back and watch the the entire shift sequence, but. Luke Hughes getting dusted 
is not great there. Like, no, it's bad. I yeah. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah, I like. <laughs> I remember watching this live and seeing Quinlan break free, and it's Hughes that's skating. I'm like, oh, he should catch him easily, right? And it's like, no, he's not. This isn't not even close. <laughs> this isn't like Steve Holtz chasing yeah, him down. Like, this, this is the is, fast second yeah, fastest. And, and, and he puts himself in that situation because he doesn't start skating backwards fast enough as Quinnipiac's breaking it out of the zone, and then he turns around and realizes he's in trouble and doesn't make up any ground at all, which is not great. I don't know if he was at the end of a shift. I'd have to go back and see. I know he was maybe a little ill. Yeah. We'll see what, you know, the story really was if it ever comes out. But um, So it's 2-1, to one and they give up a goal there. And it's like, you know, they just took that all-world play and gave it right back. And you're right. At this point, you're kind of feeling a little bit, this is not going well. And that's when the 2-on-0 comes. And you're like, I mean, this game is done at this point. A 2-on-0, like, what's a—I mean— a one v zero. What would you say your average like breakaway xg is? Like one out of three, th- like a point three, point two, point three, point three. depends. Okay, yeah. what would you say a two on zero would be if run properly? Well, if it's run properly, it's like a hundred percent. Yeah, which this one isn't run properly because no. he doesn't get the shot. But up. when you see the guys coming in, yeah. you're like, yeah. this could be ball game. Yep, and, and, and Portillo does as as much as he can here. Yep. He gets over across, and he gets you know the benefit of the guy not getting the puck up and. Lives to fight another day. And that was a game saver. Because if that goes in, like, Quinnipiac is, you know, six goalies in Michigan is, they're just going to be in a lot of in a lot of trouble. But Portillo makes the play there. Um, and then, like, Hughes falls asleep again. Like, right after this, there's a chance in front of the crease that he kind of gets back and gets on him. And then, like, skates away or kind of, I don't know if he mentally just turns off for a second. And then there's a chance right in front from the guy that he had. Um, and that shot goes, I think, over the net. Yeah, that one was brutal. But I mean, they were just, right there next to him, and then he was, he's just, just stands there and puck watches, yeah. and the guy breaks to the inside. And it, it's not like there's a bunch of people around. It's like this is your guy. Yeah, there's not. You're passing him off. Yep. And it's like, oh man, we can't get this from Portillo and this from Luke Hughes. I mean, if this happens, I mean, because one of the you we did both did well, we did a conjoined preview, and then you did the like the full Quinnipiac preview, and. Um, I, I had written down for my third bullet point, like, don't take a major because I mean, sure. I've watched hockey, Michigan hockey this year, but I deleted it and I said, okay, the thing that's been different against Ohio state, Minnesota, Colgate, and then Penn state is they got good goaltending play, but they also were pretty solid in their back end. And you know, that doesn't always include odd man rushes. I mean, you can kind of factor that in. That's slightly different form of defense like transition than, than it is in zone defense but they were really good in their own end and got nice goaltending and I said if you guys play like that again you have a good chance this weekend and so far period in and you're getting pretty much neither <laughs> you need your best players to be your best players and and they had a, guys at important positions and not great early on in that game. So Michigan gets a power play after that. Um, Casey again draws it. Like he deeks a guy, gets into the slot, is pulled down. And so far, he's like the only player to show up at the game through basically the first period. Um, Samo got a decent chance from the slot. They had some other okay chances. Nothing. I didn't have anything A+. plus. It was just um, nothing that was probably beating Parrots, but not, also not a, penal, a power play that you're like, that was terrible. Like, they did okay. They got zone time. They moved the puck. They just didn't get a, a, a perfect chance. Um, and then QPEC has one more chance right at the end of the period. They, they miss sort of an open net after a diagonal kind of goes through two guys in the slot and Michigan's in zone defense. And they're just kind of lucky to end that period. And you just, 
I remember just like sighing afterwards, being like, okay, we got out of this and played one of the worst periods Michigan hockey's played in, what, months? And they're only down two to one, so they're not completely out of it yet. You know, they need to turn some things around. If they do, they, they have a chance. But uh, not the first period that I think anyone was hoping for. No, but then you get going, and that second period uh, was was much, much better, which is what you wanted to see. Yep, it actually starts with another Quinnipiac power play. TJ Hughes takes down a guy, um, and Portillo, I thought, had a good kill, made a couple of saves, and Karenin had a nice clear, and there wasn't really anything that, you know, the concerns that we had about Michigan on the kill didn't really pop up on this one either. And, you know, that was, I think, going to be the last power play for Quinnipiac. And, you know, I thought Michigan's kills were were good. Yeah. I, I don't remember much of anything that Quinnipiac really did on their own. And then Michigan almost ties it because Adam Fantilli realizes he's better than everybody else on the ice, loses a guy, and hits somehow hits the underside of the crossbar, and the puck stays out. Because that's just the kind of night it was going to be. Yep. Uh, Quinnipiac gets another four-on-three odd man rush. Michigan defends it okay, and nothing really comes of it. Um, and then you get, you know, the top line, I think, was the top, the line that really popped in this game again. You know, Brindley got open from the slot, but uh, shot it right into Parrots, unfortunately, instead of picking a corner. Um, you know, they that top line was creating chances. I guess I can say this now. So the one thing I wrote in the breakdown was that if you take away the top line and defensemen, Michigan's, the rest of Michigan's second, third, fourth lines generated, I think, five attempts on net. Yeah, I mean, they, they got nothing from I mean, it guys. was... Nothing at all. No. And that's I mean, something we can talk about in this in the second segment. Okay. About depth scoring, but... That was, um, yeah. I mean, that just, that can't happen, I don't think. Especially when you get the night you get from Portillo and, and Luke Hughes. If you're going to get, you know, kind of negatives from those guys, then someone has to do something. And, you know, you, you can't blame Fantilli, Brindley, Rucker. I thought they were pretty good, especially Fantilli. Um, and then the defensemen, from the offensive standpoint, I think we're fine. Uh, but, you know, just I don't think I have a note for any other forward for the rest of the game in a positive light. Because, I mean, not Sam Skevich, Duke, Hughes, Hallam, Nazer. I mean, all those guys were pretty much invisible. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, uh, and, and just the defensive zone stuff, just super sloppy. They seemed like they were puck chasing, couldn't really stay structured. And, you know, we saw the exact opposite from Quinnipiac. I mean, that's one thing where you just kind of tip your hat. We talk about games generally from a Michigan perspective because we're a Michigan blog and that's why you're tuning in for the most part. Um, But we have to also mention that what Quinnipiac is old and experienced and know what they're, they know what they're doing. They can get physically bodied or be um, taken apart by NHL level talent. That didn't happen in this game. But they're not going to probably give a lot away. And, you know, that's to their credit. And they did it. I mean, what, their last three wins were against the three best teams they played all year, who were all top eight teams in the country. Yeah, Quinnipiac is a really good team, no question. I, I did think that by the middle of the second period, I thought it was pretty clear that if Michigan could keep Quinnipiac at two goals, they were going to at least tie it. Quinnipiac was getting pushed back. Michigan was really owning the territorial battle in that period. The defense was cleaner, and they were getting more chances. And yep. they were starting to hold it in. And I thought that 
the the broadcasters love to talk about Quinnipiac's <laughs> trap that we talked about last week. The, I remember you, you texted me about this. Yeah, they're one three one. Okay, um, it's interesting. It 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 was effective in the sense that they didn't give up any rushes really. Which when you play that. You have to. I mean, <laughs> if you give up a rush on that defense, <laughs> you're in like, trouble. <laughs> yeah, you can't do anything. But otherwise, I really didn't think it was very effective. Like Michigan was slicing through it, no problem, getting into the offensive the zone top with line possession, sure. And they were able to hold the zone and get looks. And um, I, I mean, I thought that compared to some games we've seen with this team against teams like Notre Dame in the past, that can bog them down, and they're not even getting into the zone, and they're just dumping it in, and the goalies playing it and then you know the d are chipping it out and you have to start fresh over and over and over again that really wasn't happening yeah michigan was getting into the zone getting set up and getting looks so uh i felt pretty good about their chances to tie it by that point it just felt that was the way it was trending speaking of tying it luke hughes makes a really nice play near the top of the zone and hits a good diagonal pass to adam fantilli down the wing to where he shoots a lot of his shots a one-timer not on the power play but in sort of um moving forward roles from especially from Hughes hits Adam and just power bombs it and beats parrots from across and and ties the game and that's kind of like it was really funny because I was talking to so that there's a Minnesota guy sitting next to me so obviously he was more invested in the first game and he ends up leaving in some sometimes early second period and so then the guy next to him who was chatting that guy up starts chat, talking to me a little bit and he's asking me what I'm doing and who I'm and what I'm looking at and for Michigan and I'm like, you know, it's just this isn't a great game for Michigan so far. They at that point they'd given up four or five odd man rushes. Their defense had just sort of been all over the place and Hughes was, you know, not sort of what when you're going to nationally showcase him, this was not the Luke Hughes that you wanted to nationally showcase. And then he makes this play sure. and yeah. I was like, I looked at the guy and I'm like, yep. Gives up a gets lost on a guy and then he does that and we all forget about it and he kind of laughed and that was sort of what happened is he just made a great pass and Fantilli just buried yet another goal. We'll talk about Luke to the NHL in the second segment, but uh, this game was really the highs and the lows of Luke yeah. Hughes all on display. I mean, he sets that one up with a really nice play, his mobility at the point creating it, and Fantilli with a supreme blast and finish and you're tied at two two and. I felt pretty okay at that point. That's when the that's when the game changed for Michigan because it, right after that they they put a mess on Quinnipiac and they must have had I wrote down like five chances near the net. They couldn't get the goal, but they had chances. Guys were buzzing around. Parrots yep. was sliding a little bit. There was confusion for really the first time all game. And in, they and they got that power play at the end of the period where Rucker McGordy gets a great chance set up on the far side and just can't get the puck up. Well, even even before that. They Rutger had a good look in the slot, and he. I yep. mean, that's the top line creating. And then, like you mentioned, that second power play, and Fantilli gets like a great play. He looked like he banked it off of Parrots to McGordy, and the goal is there. If yep. he he's got to get it above, you know, twelve inches, to eighteen inches off the ice, and Michigan has the lead. I'll tell you what, you know, that goes in, and they're up three two. The it, game feels a lot it's different. A very very different yep. game. Yep. But he couldn't. That was that was one of the turning points, but. Even so, as you go into the third period, it felt like, okay, if we keep at it, we're going to score another. Yeah. And we just have to stop them from getting one first. The, the thing to me was at that point, they were at, um, Quinnipiac was at six odd man rushes. And they'd gotten three in the first and three in the second. And so after that second half of the second period, 
I basically, I think I maybe texted you or I tweeted something like, what's going to happen first? Is Michigan going to finish one of their good chances or are they going to give one up in transition? Yeah. Turns out it was neither. But at, well, the, at yeah, the time, sort, sort of. At, ti- at the time, it, um, it felt pretty like those were good bets. But um, so getting into the third period, it actually starts again positively for Michigan. They get their first odd man rush. It's a two on O. Or two on one, I should should say. And the pass kind of comes to Brindley. He, again, he tucks into the slot. He scored on one of those against, was it Ohio State or Colgate? I can't remember. It was one of those where he comes in on a two on one, tucks inside, and buries a shot. I think it was Ohio State. And it was similar to that, except the pass comes across and gets in his skates. He can't really get the puck out, and they don't really have a good opportunity. But that was like a continuation a little bit of the second period, and you're just you're feeling good the way this had started. You know, I really felt that uh, Rutgers should have shot that one. Um, just okay. Just because, as I always say, if you're playing a good defensive team, like they're probably going to be able to do enough to make your pass across ineffective that it shuts the chance down. And that's what happens there. The defender goes down, and Rucker makes the pass in a way that it gets across. But because of where the defender is, he has yeah. to pass it behind where Brindley is, and, and then, he can't properly handle it, and he never gets a shot away. It's not putting it in his shooting pocket. Yeah, I would have. Or actually, no, sorry, that's Fantilli, not Brindley. I just rewatched the play, but... Or sorry, not Brindley. McGrory. McGrory, yeah. Fantilli's Fantilli. the one that makes the pass. But yeah. point is, with Fantilli's shooting ability, I would have just preferred to see him rip it. And that's when kind of the game completely changes, because you get a chance down the the wing for... Um, who, had the, who had the third goal for Quinnipiac that... Is it... It would end up being the winner, but the guy comes down the wing, and this is the this is the play of the Portillo play, right? Where he comes out, which is fine to to face the shooter because the guy's coming at from a sharp angle. The puck is shot at him. He makes the save, and then like because I remember watching this, the play is coming right at me. I'm sitting sort of right above that goal um, on the side, obviously, and the and the guy kind of curls off the boards and comes in. It's not really. I didn't it's, really have it. It's as, Graf who takes the initial shot, and it's Lipkin who scores the goal. So Graf comes in, and it, it wasn't really like I didn't even count it as a breakaway because he's kind of coming in from such an angle, and there's somebody in the center of the ice. Well, that it's it's so a breakaway. Just it it insinuates something else. A few things going on in this play. Okay. First of all, Michigan. You know this this comes off a of Michigan chance in zone. Michigan gets kind of caught deep, and um, Ethan Edwards makes a very um, not great <laughs> – actually, I guess that's Casey more than Edwards in terms of where they are. But they're both back-checking, and so the pass goes up, and when they enter the zone – you know, I, I distilled these two images down when I was looking at it last night. You can see them entering the zone. There's the Knipiak skater on the right side. He's just across the blue line. That's graph. Casey and Edwards are both there right at the blue line, just a little to the left. Yeah. And then I took that same image two seconds later. And by that point, the the Quinnipiac player is in the circle. And both Edwards and Casey are way far away in the slot. And I don't know what they were doing hmm. on this play. There, there's a, a Quinnipiac player on the far side, Lipkin, who ends up scoring the goal. And they like both drop back as if... The pass is coming across, but the guy's way behind and way behind the play. I don't really know why one didn't follow the shooter and put some pressure on him, yeah. and the other one drops Same. back. Yeah. But they both drop back and just let Portillo be like, oh, 
Here you go. Good luck. You try and save it. We'll be here <laughs> if there's a rebound. But, but they're not yeah. there if there's a rebound. They both the puck goes off Portillo into the corner, and they're both in the crease standing there. Neither have gone after the rebound either. I mean, it, he gets so, Portillo is not good on this play, but he gets no help at all yeah. from his defense on this play. It looked like he got a glove on this. He did, and, and he then didn't, he didn't squeeze it. But and he just sort of then dropped it behind him. Yep, and it's the same thing as the first goal. It drops down, he looks behind him, he sees it's there, and then it just, he decides to skate backwards, standing up to get back to his posts rather than pushing have, with the right skate to get you, to it. Have you ever seen that? Very strange. <laughs> Very strange play. Um, and then he just gets... This one is the one that's banked off his skate, I think. Yep, and it's because he's just meandering his way backwards while he's standing at the top and of the truth crease. be told like you could try to you could throw that puck at the skate and it could bounce any direction right. any number of times the problem is is that you can't you can't give that opportunity so i had someone tweeting at me and they were like is this something quinnipiac does like is this you know you put that in your game column yeah right and i'm like no this is just something that any hockey player from high school age beyond in that situation is going to attempt. So when you're behind the net, because the, unless you're shooting the Kennedy bullet, like you can't like <laughs> you can't score from there. Like that's it's impossible. So, so you have to use another like material object. I, I've seen it get banked up off the goalie and in sure in really like awesome plays. Like sure. Datsu could have a few of those. I imagine Kent Johnson did at some point or will in the future. Those kind of like super skilled players and they go around behind the net. The goalie is hugging the post. He's standing there. And he hit him in the there's shoulders. There's one inch yeah. to hit and they hit it perfectly yeah. and it trickles in. And, and like, that's that's fine. And when you do that, you're number one on Sports Center that yeah. night. Like that's that's a crazy play if you do that. This is not a crazy play. This is like you're behind the net and if you get to see the goalie's entire backside to you with no one really guarding the net, he's just standing there, like, every player in the world's going to try it. You know what? This... And it's maybe a little unlucky for Michigan that both attempts went in instead of glancing the other way. But everybody's going to try it. You know what this was like? It's mini golf. Yeah. <laughs> right? Where you have to go around, like, the lake, and you yeah. have to hit it off of the wall, and it bounces over to the side. But that's the play. That's what the hole is designed for you to do. You're supposed to hit it off of that wall and try to get the right angle yeah. and then yep. get it over to the other side. And that's what was happening here, is you can't score from where you're at, so you have to use a wall. And in that situation, the wall is Portillo and his skate. When the puck's behind the net, the goalie's always got to be in the net on the posts, right? Like, the, the risk of the wraparound is always that the goalie starts on one post, the guy comes down, and then it's like, can you tuck it in before he slides across? And there, You never... Ever see a goalie not in that position in the net, like way out? <laughs> There's something <laughs> to be stuff. said for if he makes the save and the puck bounces off to the side and he's like diving back, yeah. pushing off, and then gets banked in. Then you're kind of like, okay, well, he knew what he had to do and he was doing it, and the guy just beat him to it. But in this situation, he should have caught the puck. He didn't. He dropped it behind him and then and that, he and waited that, a while and then he ended up going back in a way that allowed the guy to shoot it off it, of him. It's just very very goofy, right? It's goofy. The shot one. comes in, he drops it, and then he's like, Oh, do gonna get back to the post now and taking like four <laughs> seconds to do so and it gets banked in off him because he's too slow to get back. I mean I put in the preview of this game, and I'm glad I did, that his one change I thought he had made in the latter stretch of the season to become better as a goaltender was coming out further. It was helping him on his high danger chances. The only thing 
that you would have said at that time, if you're being told, okay, what he's planning to do is he's going to come out really far, is, yeah, but he's had problems with recovery time this year. And if he's coming out really far, he's got further to recover. And if he's not recovering quickly, it's going to create some adverse effects. And so they decided to trade off a, a goaltending style that would allow him to make a ton of high danger saves. And the trade-off is that it opens you up to rebounds and other things. And you remember we that, saw that. Remember that goal against Michigan State at Munn in December where he like is on yep. one side and, and he, he doesn't, doesn't get up? Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what a lot of these have been. Just he, it's not, or the one at in Cleveland, right? Where he comes out to face the shot and then it just stays there the yep. whole time and doesn't. And that's just kind of been one of the downfalls of of his game this year is that if you could get a decent rebound look or you could get a second opportunity, there's a chance you're going to be able to have a good look at the net. And, um, you know, that's what happened again. Um, to his credit, though, he does come back and, and make a nice save on a two-on-one and a breakaway later, uh, a really good save. So, you know, that's you had the line of the night, I think, that you said to me. is like, this is a Mike Smith game where... You it know, was to that point. He he made, I mean, I know you talk about odd man rushes being a little bit overrated, but when four of them are one on O or two on O, and the other ones are like three on one and two on one, and there's nine of them in total, like, that's a lot of XG. That's not like, oh, well, they, you know, if you play this right. there, you You are right about that. But when you're going to give up a sheer volume of them like this, at some point, those those are really, really good looks that are going to go in. And, you know, aside from the one, the other eight, he stops. And I mean, Karen had the help on one and blah, blah, blah. But he makes, I think, four or five saves on those. And that's, you know, that's that keeps them in the game. Because it's not his fault they're odd man rushes. If there's anyone on the ice that you don't blame for an odd man rush, it's the goalie. Like, yeah. that's not part of it. And he bails Michigan out. The problem is, is then the other half of the the Mike Smith goals are the ones that he shoots in and he, you know, hit him in the ribs and he does a cartwheel and he kicks in with his skate. And you're like, how did that go in? But you're shutting down these breakaways. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Mike Smith was when he was at his best, he would have really good save percentages and he would overall be a pretty darn good goalie. He just would give up very, very strange goals while making a lot of high-danger saves. This was kind of like bad Mike Smith, because even to this point, when Portillo's given up three, it's still not a great performance. Yeah. Because if if he had just given up the one banking, then I think we could say that was good Mike Smith. Yeah. Um, But... uh, So, it's still 3-2, and Michigan has a chance to get back in it. They call Quinnipiac for a slash. I think this is their third power play. And... You know, again, this is a, not a bad power play. They get a, uh, they get a shot, and Rutger is sitting right on the doorstep for a rebound, and Parrots doesn't give it to him. You know, that's it was that was this tie game if he can get that rebound, and he doesn't because Parrots doesn't give anything away. Really, it yeah. took two really nice plays to beat him, and they both did. And then you know they even get he even gets uh, a bounce because Ciccolini gets a really good look from straight away, fires, hits Parrots, I think in the mask deflects off and then hits the iron and goes out. And you're like, like when that happened, you're like, well, this is probably it. Not because I don't think Michigan can score a goal and tie it or that they can't even get two and win it. But because when Fantilli is going to hit the underside of the bar and it's going to stay out and Ciccolini is going to go mask and post and Portillo is going to give up two banked in goals. You look around and in sports, like that's just not your night. It's hard to win when you're getting that kind of goaltending. And you don't, 
get a bounce on top of it to, yep. to even it out. And that's something Michigan didn't get. And, um, you know, Portillo made one more big stretch save. And then, you know, then the night kind of came to a close when, you know, there's a shot that comes from kind of the boards in, it wasn't really, it was what, what, halfway between the dots and it wasn't really the point. It was just over to the side. And, you know, you, I think you mentioned this again in your game column that, that McGordy goes out to block the shot. He doesn't, and maybe Portillo's screen, but like, the puck goes in the top corner and he kind of like waves at it and then falls over like he wasn't even remotely expecting that shot. And okay, maybe you don't expect that shot because it's not a good look, but like, I mean, as a goalie and the puck's in the zone, you have to always be expecting a shot. Yeah, and the thing is that there are plenty of times goaltenders make saves on shots they didn't even know were really coming. Yeah, but if you just hold a good position, it yeah. glances off of you. I mean, at the end and of the day, he, like, he kind of like fans at it. And then topples over. At the end of the day, that's a goal that just can't go in. No, I mean, and it's and it's a goal that um, really is is one that just killed Michigan. Not not just because you're down two to Quinnipiac, but just if you watch that play again and you just look at the reactions of the skaters on the ice and Fantilli in particular, just can't believe it. And it's one of those. You know, Frederick Anderson, when he was with the Leafs, would give up one of those every game seven, basically from an <laughs> insane angle. And yeah. in every case, it's just like they're done. And the skaters just give up because they're like, how the hell are we supposed to win this game when that shot is going in? Well, And, and it, it just yeah. crushes your psyche and your morale. And it wasn't a game winner. It was the no. second goal. No. So if it, if it was, if that was the third one, you'd be like, okay, we can, we can try to rustle one up in the last few minutes, pull a goalie, get a bounce. But for two, it's like, even I was sitting there and I'm like, well, yep, that's probably it. <laughs> yep. And it was, I, it, Quinnipiac added an empty netter, but you know, it's five to two, um, it sounds worse than probably it was because the truth is is that it was 2-2 going into the third yep. and you had all to play for. Portillo was looking good after a rough first period, had a better second period. You know, the defense still three odd man rushes per period. <laughs> that was, I've been tracking these since the Connor year of 15-16 and I don't ever remember getting to nine. I've gotten to six, maybe seven once. I don't ever remember getting to nine. And so you add that in to you know, a poor goalie performance and a little bit of getting unlucky on the other end, a couple of posts and, you know, Quinnipiac's a really good team. And we'll talk a little bit at the beginning of the next segment about their game against Minnesota for a few minutes. But um, sometimes being the better team is not making the mistakes. Nope. And if you can, you know, what was what was the line from Top Gun where Iceman is just, he flies ice cold and waits for you to make a mistake. I mean, that's kind of what Quinnipiac did is they waited out waited you out if it took something special to beat you okay fine and they said all right you're gonna make more mistakes than we are and michigan did and they won the game you gotta give them credit for it i can't believe i'm doing this if you find yourself in the penalty box you want a michigan man arguing your case call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor jonathan paul tonight it's 248 and 924 Nine and four five eight, or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. Saw it through without exemption. I planned 
Each charted course Each careful step Along the byway And more Much more than this I did it my way Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew But through it all When there was doubt I ate it up And spit it out I faced it all And I stood tall And did it my way All right, well that concludes the Michigan hockey game portion of our hockey cast. Uh, we can talk for a couple minutes about a few things, and then you had a great idea for a second segment. Um, the first thing is we should just touch on the national championship game a little bit because we debated it a little in prep, and also we have a tendency to cover college hockey, so we should probably at least mention it. Um, I thought that going even back a little further, I thought Minnesota was clearly the better team against Boston. That showed up in the third period. Yep. Um, it was actually really similar to the Michigan Quinnipiac game where you had a dominant performance by one team, Minnesota in the first period and Boston kind of survives a little bit, comes back in the second ties. It is like escaping and maybe looking like they have a chance to threaten. And then Minnesota kind of blows their doors off in the third. Um, well, there was a lot of penalties. That's true. That started it, but they also end up scoring a lot of goals. Then they win like six to two. Yeah. Well, there were multiple empty netters and stuff. that Okay. Too, but but they also had chances, and anyway. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota was a better team. And Boston was, didn't really threaten it was much. A, it was a crusher for them, too, because they were almost out of the woods after those successive five-on-threes. And yeah. And they gave up a goal at five-on-four, and then yeah. they were just kind of done after that. And they, it's not like they were generating a bunch of chances. Like, no, they were, the very, they were just in a position of trying to steal the game. It took Boston, you, about three minutes to clear the puck out of their own zone to start the game. Yeah. Like, it was, you could see early on, okay, something's going to have to change for them or else they could get run in this game. And they staved it off for a while. So Minnesota plays Quinnipiac. Um, I saw the majority of the third period. You watched, I think, more of it than I did. Um, you didn't love really any of the goals <laughs> until, the, the until second, the end. The second one was a weird one. It was a, a chip from like an obscure angle up over the shoulder of Peretz. Um, I, I don't really know what to say about that one. The first one was rough um, from Yaniv Peretz. He... Uh, plays a guy coming down the wing and way overplays it and ends up basically outside the crease and it gets wrapped around and then eventually knocked in. That was one that... It was very Portillo. Portillo-esque yeah. on it, yeah. And then at that point, it's 2 nothing Minnesota, and it's like, man, they I think they have this. But... And this is the thing that we had talked about Quinnipiac, is like, if you make them play from behind, yep. they just might not be able to. But uh, the real turning point was, was Quinnipiac getting that first goal... Made the game a lot closer. That wasn't great from close, was it? I mean, the, um, the pass kind of comes through the crease, and he doesn't really come out to smother it, and then eventually goes in on the other side of him. And, like, that's a play where if the puck is reachable like that, like, you got to grab it. Yeah, probably. I, I think that at the at the end of the day, like, they had also gotten some gifts from Perrette, so it was, you could sure. it was more of a... But you know, if you're looking at it from closest standpoint you're like sure. 
if I'm him, I'm like, I need to play that differently. I think what was interesting about this game is that then after Quinnipiac gets it closer... 2-1. Yeah. Um, then Minnesota just kind of takes the foot off the gas. Do you they, think they turtle? They did. I don't think it was an outright turtle, but they definitely, I think, didn't do enough. Um, well, they had, like, weren't shots at one point in the third period, like 14-1 to 1 since that goal or something? Yeah. Um, they were on their heels, and they were blocking a gazillion shots, and there wasn't a ton that was coming through on close, super high danger. But it definitely felt like by the seven or eight minute remaining mark that Quinnipiac was going to get a tying goal. Like and they, they were just so close, they were knocking on the door. They were knocking they, on the door. They get a power play with about five minutes remaining. Minnesota fans were furious about this. I wasn't. Uh, I thought. Are you a Minnesota fan? <laughs> I thought it was a fine call. I mean, Cooley just mugs the dude and yeah. is, like, tackling him. And then, yes, the the Quinnipiac guy does hold on to Cooley's stick, and they both kind of get dragged down. But why did Cooley just tackle him? Yeah. Where the puck wasn't even there. I mean, I, I don't have any issue with that. And they don't score on the power play, but they get a bunch of looks. And then Pecknell does what he did last year. He pulls the goalie very, very, very early. early. And I, I was like, this is a gamble. We'll so see. So my, my question about we'll, – we'll talk about the, the game-time goal in a second here. But my question is, like, you're Minnesota. You have the best defensive core and the best line. And you also get pretty good sc- scoring depth. You've shown that just in the previous game alone, let alone parts of the regular – or throughout the regular season. Don't you go win the game 3-1? to one? Yeah, I, I thought they I mean, were too conservative in that third period. If you, I mean, that's that was the thing. Like watching the Avalanche last that year is, is like you, like okay, fine, you scored a goal, you got back into it. Now we're going to score two more, and it's going to be over. Like but that's that what is, you do when that you is can. how a lot of teams play it in game sevens. I, I think if is this not a game seven or just a game one? No, this is a game seven. Right? No, no, no. I'm talking about. Oh, you mean? Yeah. The, the way Minnesota approached this is how a lot of teams approach game seven. <sighs> that if it's game five or game six in a series, even if they're trying to close out the series, they'll be more aggressive. Game seven, you just so often see teams they get a lead and then they're like, okay, we're done. We just got to park the bus. Is this and get the out of uh, here. Nick Sir- Sirianni uh, <laughs> not going for it on fourth and three <laughs> yeah. from his own twenty nine? Like, yeah, I mean, late in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I just think when you have those teams, like that's your play. Go win your game. And, you know, they didn't. They tried to hang on. And then, you know, we debated in prep a little bit about this one. I'm on. I think this is a bad goal from close. You defended him a little bit because you thought it was more of a shot pass across. It's a it's definitely a pass, either a pass. Or but it's it on a frame fake pass, because if you look at the right, it's a bad. It, it's like when the alley-oop goes in the net. Right. What? Oh, you with, throw like, up an you... <laughs> alley-oop, and the guy can't dunk it because it's actually just going in. That's like what it is. Because okay. you look at this. He's in the circle. There are two Quinnipiac players down low to one gopher, yeah. both standing there waiting to tap it in. It might even have been a pass to the guy on the back post as opposed to Brindamore. I mean, it was never getting there. but And so it's coming through. And when I saw it go in, I assumed it was a tip-in because of, you know. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. And I think it surprised close that it was on net. Because he's not, if he's just facing the shooter and he's not scared about the threat of a tapping, he has the angles different on that goal. And instead, you can see the way his body is positioned. He knows that there's a tapping guy right there, and he's trying to guard against it. It it comes in on him, and it goes right through the legs. I mean, and it's a it's a real tough one. I'm not a goalie coach, but I played a little bit of indoor soccer goalie, which is similar angles. And like, with a shot from there, I would always go get. 
like you don't wait for it to hit somebody. You go out and you get it. And he didn't. He let it play him and it got caught in his pads and then went in the net. And Well, and you can see the way it went in. It was so close to going off the outside of the pad and, and wide. And it's just uh, – it, but those are the kinds of goals that often get scored to tie games, right? I mean, it's often just pucks thrown at the net, and you get a little lucky, you get a little bounce, and it goes in. You want to win a national championship, man? You got to make that save. Yep, that's it. Means from both perspectives, and that's and that's the point that you know we've sort of talked about all year, right? And even last year is Minnesota has a great team. They have a good coach. They have scoring depth. They have depth defensemen. They have high end talent. Superstars. Do they have a goalie that can close out a game? But by the way, their superstars didn't score in this game. Well, they didn't really score in the... I guess Cooley scored, what, once in the previous game? But a lot of it is depth scoring. They I got, mean... Like, Middlestad had a couple, and um, was it... Was John, it Huglin? John Middlestad, No, he had the pass. John Middlestad and Jackson Nelson scored the two goals for Minnesota in this game. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't get enough from their top guys. Sure, but they, get, they had a lead with 90 seconds to go... You want to guess how many shots they put on Yaniv Peretz in this game? Uh, it wasn't many. It was like 20, maybe? 15. <laughs> I mean... But if you put 15 shots on and you're up 2-1 to one with 90 seconds to go, it's goalie time, man. Yep. It's just goalie yep. time. And do you have a guy who can shut it down? I mean, that's what Portillo did against Penn State, right? It's sure. 1-1. And he didn't have to make a ton of saves, but he made the saves yep. that got him to, to Mackey's overtime winner. And... I just I just think that this, this goal is going to haunt close for the rest of his oh, life. Oh, there's no question about that. And, you know, you feel for the kid. Obviously, you know, it's not like we root for Minnesota because they're our big rival in hockey and blah, blah, blah. I was cheering for Minnesota in this game. You were? Yeah. Because? Uh, I wanted to see the Big Ten win. Do you root for Ohio State? I wouldn't root for Ohio State, but uh, after all the college hockey news people, I want to see them be owned. So... <laughs> Um, you got your revenge on Tech earlier in the tournament when they got blasted out of the <laughs> arena, and so now you can go flex over uh, your the Alex. But I, I, so I actually did want to see um, this go to overtime, but I was cheering for Minnesota once. I was cheering for going back to tie it, and then I was cheering for Minnesota to win it because right. I wanted to see overtime. But. Aside from Nate Wells, I wasn't rooting for Minnesota. I felt bad for him because I've been through it, and we've been through those together, and he's a really good dude. But I. I didn't need to see Michigan's hockey, longtime hockey rival, end their drought before Michigan. Sorry. That's just, that's part of sports. But anyway, um, so Quinnipiac then in overtime, this one is not on close. This was a really great scene. Well, the guys said in the interview, this was a set play where obvious. they win the face off, obviously a set comes play. back down the wing, and they beat both go for defenseman yeah, and you get the defenseman sleeping and you get a pass across. how are you sleeping five seconds into a face off after a face well a lot of times when a period starts the teams kind of stand around feel each other go out. back to the right and the yeah. defensemen are like okay we're getting our bearings in overtime oh oh and you know just caught him a little flat-footed real fast and then i mean just perfect execution do you think there's a little bit of like that, we should have won an over in the third period hangover I don't know. I mean, you got to come out ready to play. Well, you have to. And, and this is and this is perfect execution. I mean, yeah. they they could have run this play ten times. I'm not sure if they score on any other attempts because it is a perfect pass across and a perfect deke and a perfect finish in a very tight space. Well, they said they practiced this. Sure, and it looked like it. Yeah. And that's it. National Championship banner number one for QPAC. Good for them. Good season. Are you still the number one QPAC hater, or are you backing down? 
Uh, no, I mean, they this year they were a great team, and they the biggest thing about them is they just didn't lose many games this year. They did? They just found ways to win games, and they did it this weekend. So credit to them, and uh, Rand Pecknold gets his championship. Um, I don't know him personally. I don't really know anything about him, but um, I got a little respect for him after watching that post game he wanted a hug from the, yeah, <laughs> from the he, reporter i mean he's a good coach he's put in the time i mean yep. he's been there for what 30 years yep thereabouts and they they did it so congrats to them all right so we have a few um michigan notes first of all as we were prepping uh mackie samuskevich has set side goodbye and signed at what ato with the uh florida panthers tri- uh i almost said triple a uh, AHL team. The Charlotte. The Charlotte Chess. Yeah, the the Checkers. Oh, Checkers. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so, Samo has two years here, and, um, well, we'll get into personal I, grades. I assume he'll be there for the rest of the season, and then maybe. Are they in the playoffs, do you know? The Checkers? I'd have to look that up. You don't know the AHL playoffs off, the, off the top of my head. <laughs> okay. It's I not... think, didn't the AHL expand their playoffs so that, like, almost all the teams make it? Maybe. I don't know. Um, anyway, so he'll be he'll be a, a checker for probably the rest of the year, and then try to make then the he'll Panthers. Get, then he'll get Stanley C. Panther to drive him from North Carolina to to Miami. Is, is that is that his? That's the mascot, yeah, of the Panthers. Is yeah. Stanley C. Panther, correct? Stanley yeah. Cup Panther, yeah, that's <laughs> great. All right, so Samo Samo's out the door. Uh, the other notables in the portal is Noah West entered the portal before the tournament and apparently has taken himself out. And is at least currently back at Michigan? That, that is, is a the report. word of the day. Okay. It, the checkers are in the playoffs. Okay. So he'll get some games, yep. at least a few. Um, can he go back in the port? Like, is this a is this a one-time only entrance? <laughs> or can he, like, oscillate? Like, how does that work? I, I don't know. But he's taken himself out. He's been retrieved. And Portillo has signed an ATO with the Ontario Reign, not the Ontario Canada, Ontario California, California yep. Reign, which are basically the AHL Kings. And Reign as in R-E ruling. I-G-N. Not as in Reign. Right. Like Reign. It's, because it's It's a Kings. name that is designed to make you have to look in the dictionary. Well, it's like, remember when the WNBA started and all of the teams were basically a version of the NBA team in that city. You weren't born. No. You were you were negative three. But I was. And all of the teams were basically takeoffs okay. on the, the NBA franchise in that location. Oh. That is exactly what the Ontario Reign are yes, yes. in this situation, as they are like the kings that are reigning. Yep. I like it that we're explaining these jokes. <laughs> it feels like most of my jokes that I have to explain to Craig. Um, but anyway, so... so- Go ahead. Yeah, Portillo's gone. Yep. Um, Which was not no surprise. No. I mean, the moment he got traded. Yes. It was, up to that yeah. point, you thought, we'll see. He, he gets traded, and you're like, he didn't want to be in Buffalo because they have Devon Levi, who won the Mike Richter Award for the second straight year. They have UPL. And Levi's already in the NHL starting games and playing pretty well. He just didn't want to be on that depth chart, which makes sense. So he goes to the Kings, an organization that doesn't have really a goalie of the future. They give up a third rounder for him. Well, he was a third round pick. Was, sure. Yeah, I mean, you're getting a six foot six athletic goalie with two previous seasons of high level play in a major yep. college conference. That's, That's true. That's a decent template to start with. They're going to have to do some things with him and get his technique back, but uh, you know, figure some things out as to like, okay, what the hell happened with yeah. some of these things? But the year. sky's the limit, and um, 
if it all goes right, he could easily be a long-term goalie for them. They don't really have a guy on their depth chart right now, long-term. So we'll see what happens. So he's out. Uh, Noah West is, I guess, back in. And they're bringing in a, you know, again, we're not going to get into all of the, what looks like next year. That's for two weeks out uh, podcast. But they're they're bringing in a, a 20-year-old another Swede, and then now they have Noah West. You and I were debating um, it, how comfortable we feel about that. Neither of us are, like, slam dunk it, so um, maybe they'll be in portal shopping for a third. We're not sure who's out there. We'll see. that. That's probably for a future all podcast. moving pieces. Yep. Um, so the other guys that have entered the portal are Nick Granowitz, Eric Ciccolini, and Keaton Pearson. Yep. Got his name right. And um, I would... I would Take two of those guys back. Do you want to guess which ones? It's probably obvious to the <laughs> listeners. Um, Pierce and I'd have no issue with bringing back. The reports are today that Trescott will be back, and so if you brought yeah. Keaton Pearson back, then you basically have a full defense for next year. Well, so. you, you throw in Karen in, and you throw in Edwards and Casey, and then, I mean, that's five guys that you right pretty there. much and, feel and, comfortable and with. Holtz played a bunch of games. Luka you still Bentley have Luca. You have Drew Skinnis. Right, there's a lot of names. Yeah, so, and they're they're only bringing in like I think one or two defensemen. So it's not like they're bringing in of those guys look like a full crop instant players. Yeah. Um, if you if Pearson is out the door, then maybe you get a guy from a different school. I know that Brian was talking about uh, Seedham from Harvard, who's in the portal in Michigan. I guess has been sniffing around. We'll see what happens, but they're in a decent spot already yeah, cause uh, on the back end. If you bring in, I mean, there's been no rustlings about Karen being done, and he has another year, I think, via COVID, and maybe even one more. I'd have to look at the specifics of when he start, what year he first started. But, um, you know, he was a fine top four guy, and I think that if you don't pair him with Steve Holtz, you think that there's probably a little more upside there. So, um, especially... It, you know, we'll see, and then this is getting into too, probably too much of the the next year look at it, but it feels like the best idea would be to be splitting up Casey and Edwards and pairing them each with more of a defensive yeah. partner, and then you would have more similar pairs anyway. So, but you, but the, the point is there's you have four, and then if you do retrieve Pearson, then you have five, and that feels pretty good to start, like you'd said, and without even having to dip into the guys that didn't even play a lot this year. Yeah, I mean, um, Ciccolini, I think, is not, if he leaves, whatever. Yeah. If he comes back, whatever. I mean, he's. I was a big fan of him in his younger years, but like... Yep, same. We've seen him for four years. Three. This, we didn't really see him last sure, year. Sure, but this is probably who he is. And who he is is not really a, a very important player. No, he's probably a third liner. Maybe. Well, depends. I mean, I would like to see Michigan... And we can get into this in a minute, but I'd like to see them make a more deliberate effort to try and get more offense down the lineup. And part of that might be get new guys in and some new bodies and well, sh- they have, shake some things up. They have a lot of freshmen that would that it, theoretically they could bring in. I don't. That, right, they have some freshmen. They. My point is that I would like to see them move in a fresh direction with their bottom six. Okay. And so you keep Hallam there. If Fantilli leaves, then you bump Nazer up, and then you have a lot of moving pieces, and you can kind of get a new new group with a new identity. Yeah. Well, I mean, Moyle is obviously out of eligibility, and, yep. and Granowitz is. Yep. You really only have Hallam and Estapa in the bottom six, and so, so then you'd have four new guys to plug in, and you know maybe Lapointe gets another shot, maybe Draper, but there's also a couple guys in their recruiting class who I think are could step in in a bottom six role, and I wouldn't mind portal hunting in the bottom six. Just yep. try to give the team a little bit different of a look down there. 
Yeah, that that'll probably shake itself out. Hopefully, over the next hockey cast or two, we should have a couple more. Let, usually, it's uh, the next week is grades of players and areas, and then the following week is just kind of looking forward to what's going on and next year. And uh, you know, aside from probably Fantilli, who at this point doesn't seem like he's going to make a decision until the draft, because we should note he did win the Hobie. Well, yes. Yay! Yeah. Michigan's third all-time. Clap line. Um, With a ghost of Kyle Connor in there. Yeah, even the Hobie voters couldn't get this one wrong. Um, <laughs> well, you knew... So, so in so my... Appara- oh, go ahead. Apparently, this was interesting. There was a conference call between the Hobie voters, and okay. one of the Hobie voters asked, what would Hobie think about Adam Fantilli being suspended for that fight against Michigan State? Well, I don't know, but like when when did Hobie Baker live? He died in 1918. He died in 1918? Correct. Uh, well, <laughs> was hockey played before that? Yes, he was a great hockey player. It had on off, a pond? It had often six players. Uh, well, didn't, at, didn't you tell me that was the era when people used to chase each other around with sticks and just like murder each other? So, not in the US. <laughs> oh, okay. But in but in other places that hockey was played at a high level. Correct. It was so the the Hobie Baker actually has a Lady Bing like thing written into its definition, which means that you are not supposed to be fighting and things like that. Basically, okay. it's it's. Let me pull up the exact wording. But basically, there was discussion in the days leading up to the Hobie, cer- Hobie ceremony that they were not going to give it to Fantilli because he was too violent. What what do, what would Hobie Baker think of Logan Cooley checking Eric Ciccolini in the back after a shot and so that was the argument. The argument out. was they were going to give it to Nyes because Cooley and Fantilli both had suspensions. Who had twenty five fewer points. Correct. But you know what Nyes also wasn't uh, a first round pick. A freshman. <laughs> He's a sophomore who was, was ready for the NHL. This was only the third freshman ever to win this award. Did Jack Eichel deserve his? Yes. There was. There is nothing they like. I don't know like who the more other than one not was. giving it to a freshman. Who was the third one? I believe it was Korea. <laughs> My guess is that Paul Korea deserved his. Um. So, anyway, here's the definition: NCAA player who best quote exhibits strength of character both on and off the ice and, quote, contributes to the integrity of the team and displays outstanding skills in all phases of the game. So there was discussion that they weren't going to give it to him because of the of the hit and the fight. The one hit. The, yeah, the, the okay. couple incidents. So, so they're going to give it. But they didn't. But it was, a very humor, it was a very humorous little saga. It is a very college hockey that I enjoy, saga. That I enjoyed following quite a bit. <laughs> I bet you did. That is a very Alex Drain peering around the corner watching whatever this is unfold. But, um, yes, Adam Fantilli wins the Hobie. It, he was the best player in college hockey. Uh, Cooley was good, um, but it wasn't. Cooley was really good, especially okay. late in the year. I yes. mean, he had an awesome game against BU. Sure. I will say that. He also had, what, seven points fewer. Yeah, a few points. Fewer, yeah. fewer yep. goals, about as many assists. Also... Like, if you take Cooley off of that team, Minnesota still is very good. Probably, yeah. If you but take, he, he drove their best line, and he drove... Sure. If you take Fantilli off of this team... Michigan's Probably in worse. the tournament, Yeah, but their team is very, very different. Yeah, I mean, Fantilli was the best player. I, I don't like going down that line of logic for MVP awards, but... Um, His production was also better than anyone else's. Yeah. Because he mean, also I, missed two games. No, we missed... 
four ga- three games. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they had some people break down the advanced numbers and stuff. Five over games. At EP, he missed five games. Over at EP Rinkside, and, and uh, did a good job of, of laying out the cases. And the statistical case was pretty clear that it, yeah. was, that it was Fantilli, and it was just a matter of whether he was going to be ineligible so will they fighting. If he comes back next year, will they forgive him? For his, like, hit, or will that always be on his record of, like, well, you heard a man. Uh-huh. All right, I'm just going to get snarky if we continue on with this. So, any other news before we get into our Wolverines in the NHL update? Uh, trying to think if there was anything else. I don't think so. Uh, we weren't sure who Notre Dame's goalie was going to be. Uh, it's going to be Bischel. He has a COVID year. He will be back as Notre He's Dame's coming goalie. coming back? Yeah. Okay. And I think Michigan State keeps getting guys. So sure. They'll be good. Um, all right. So we, you had a good idea about doing this. Um, you sent me a list of players. I looked up a few things. So I will give you skeletons, and you can color them in. Uh, the first guy that I wrote down is poor Max Pacioretty. Uh, and, yeah, he's been injured. And he's been probably the best Wolverine in the NHL over the last 15 years-ish. He was a really underrated player at his peak. Was captain of the Canadians. I believe he was. And was a good player in Vegas. And then got traded to Carolina because Vegas decided to sign way too much money for players. That was poorly worded. Uh, They blew up their salary cap, had to trade away some guys, went to Carolina, which actually was like kind of a great fit for him because they needed a a guy. And then he like tore his Achilles. Is that what it was? He tore his Achilles and then he came back and he played five games, scored three goals, looked fine. Then he tore it again. (sighs) And, that, is that and that's it? a hard injury to come back from. Is, and is, he's 34 years old. It's going to be a tough climb. But look, um, he already won the Masterton once. But if he managed to come back and make a triumphant return next year, maybe he, he could be the second ever, <laughs> the first ever two-time Masterton contract's winner. up, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who signs him. I mean, that would be a great you know, low-cap hit. $1 million fly, dollars take a flyer, take a on, flyer a, on Max Patch. On a guy. Yeah. Yeah. See you in Colorado, Max. Kyle Connor, um, 32-49 for 81 points in 80 games. He's shooting 12%. Uh, is he the best Michigan shooter in the NHL? Yeah. I, I had goal score, but I don't know that that's true because there's another couple guys we're going to talk about. But he's I would he's, say he's he probably shoots. the best pure goal scorer in, in the NHL. From um, Michigan? From Michigan, yeah. I mean, he scored 47 last year. And there, the Jets are over his like, NHL career. He's averaging like thirty some goals per game, like thirty five per season. And the Jets are like what one point from the pl- cl- clinching the playoffs. Yeah, they're probably going to be in, so you'll probably get to see Kyle Connor in the playoffs. Dylan Larkin is the next guy we had written down thirty two forty seven for seventy nine. Yeah, that's right. Um, in seventy nine games, uh, also pretty good. He's shooting thirteen percent, so you know a little bit better than. Than Connor and the news on him is he got a nice big new deal this year. Yep, got paid quite a bit. The um, question is, is he a one C for a good playoff team? I don't know. He's somewhere in between. He's not a superstar, but he's a real good player. He scored thirty goals for the second straight season and third time in his career. He's gonna hit eighty points for the first time in his career, most likely, and probably be a point per game player, which means a lot less than it used to, but it's still a nice thing to achieve. Are you happy to see him that he'll be in Detroit for what appears to be the remainder of his career, unless yeah, he's traded. I mean, I don't have an issue with it. Um, he was a guy who was okay keeping just because he's a veteran guy and a good leader in the locker room, all that stuff. Uh, Zach Hyman is... Talk about having a great year. <laughs> 
is with the Edmonton Oilers, 36-47 for 83 in 77 games. He's shooting 13.5%, and I just wrote, just keeps going. Like, he was kind of this way in Toronto, reached free agency. It was kind of like, how much do you pay him? Is he worth paying? Turns out when you're playing on Marner with Marner and Matthews, and then you go to playing with Dreisaitl and McDavid, uh, it, not a whole lot changes. Yeah, he's generally uh, this season been with uh, RNH and Dreisaitl on their second line, but he plays on that power play unit, the best power play possibly of all time. Of all time, I was about to say. He has 15 power play goals and 11 power play assists, which does quite a bit, playing mostly around the net. Um, I mean, him and RNH have just had insane seasons based off that power play in particular, but 36 goals. Um, he's just a guy that keeps getting better, and yeah. he just keeps working hard and improving himself and improving his game. You were you were a little dubious about the contract in the beginning. Have you changed your tune? I'm still worried about how it will age because it's a long, long-term deal, and you know he has multiple reconstructed knees. But mm. if the goal was to build a really good team right now around Connor McDavid, signing Zach Hyman was a hell of a signing. So got to give Ken Holland credit for that one. Man, that doesn't come out of your mouth very often. Hey, he's had a good little bit. He's woken back up <laughs> after he was having a nap with Ward Manuel. Uh, Quinn Hughes, uh, the original Hughes at Michigan, seven goals, 66 assists, 73 points in 76 games. Um, the only thing is 35 of his 73 points have come on the power play. Is that okay for a top defenseman? Sure. All right. And so obviously he's really good at a couple of things. Um, is Vancouver a little limited because he only does a couple of things really well? No, I mean, he's gotten a lot better. Um, I mean, the growth he's taken in his game is is really impressive. Um, I mean, I talked to some people who are Canucks fans, and they can't rave enough about how much better he is defensively than he once was. Wow. Um, Does that give you hope for Luke? Luke's coming from farther back than, okay. than Quinn is. But he's bigger, um, right? Yeah, so I think that Quinn, one thing I thought about watching Luke is like, I wish we could have seen Quinn his second season play with players instead of Yeah, because Luke right? Luke's played with so like some so, all-star teams So much of what yeah. we faulted Quinn for was like him being on a team where the whole team was like, Alex, Kyle, and we're Jacob Hayes. We're not scoring. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you go do it. <laughs> you go do it. Well, and especially <laughs> and, once, once Norris got yeah, hurt. Yeah, and like that whole, you know, that infamous game at MSG against oh, Penn State with right. all the breakaways. Personally so like part, gives up. Part of it was him. like, again, it was like, you got to do the whole offense yeah. for us. And so I, I would have loved to see him play with better players. Um, and, and he's just improved a lot. His slap shot's a lot better than it was when he was at Michigan. Um, Are his defensive numbers improving as well? I mean, he's a league average defenseman while being on the defensive side while being really good offensive. I mean, he's a great player. No yep. question about that. Top five in points by a defenseman this season. I yep. think he is. Will he get Norris votes? He's, I would assume he finishes in the top 10. Okay. He, 66 assists is second for a defenseman. I believe it's top 10 in the league among all players. So hard to, hard to complain about that season. Uh, two guys that we would both that we would love to talk about, but can't really just because of their injuries. They kind of get incomplete. Zach Wierenski and Josh Norris. Um, I, I think Norris came back a uh, little bit this year. He, he played for a bit and he got re-injured. And Wierenski got hurt early and has been pretty much just out. And so there's not really a lot to say, but you like both those guys going forward. They both have nice long deals, getting a bunch of money. Um, Norris... 
is on an interesting team in Ottawa, who uh, some predicted to be a little bit better this year, kind of underachieved. And then Columbus is um, whole levels of bad. Yeah. Wierenski, I think the concern with him at this point is that he has not been very healthy the last few years. Mm-hmm. He played 35 in the COVID year, so that's 21 games missed. He missed oh, out of 56. He yep. missed 14 last year, and he only played 13 this season. Yeah. And even in 2019-20, where every team played about 69, 70 games, he missed six that season. So this is a guy who's missing, you know, a week or two at least in, yeah. in every season, if not more. He just needs to get back healthy and Hopefully the fruits of Columbus's tank will pay off for Wierenski's sake, and they'll be able to get... Well, they'll get, get somebody, they'll right? Get someone good, right? Yeah. They are tied, I believe, with Chicago at the bottom of the standings right now, so if they can just finish it off and lose three more games, then they might be in that position where they're guaranteed one of uh, Carlson, Fantilli, or uh, Bedard. Well, you, so that'd they be need neat. another Wolverine, don't they? They don't have enough down yeah. there in Columbus, so... Um, speaking of good Wolverines, by the way, Norris is a guy who also needs to figure out how to stay healthy. I mean, he got hurt at Michigan. Yeah. He missed 16 games last year and he only plays eight this season. Ottawa's an interesting young team. They need him healthy. He's yeah. a part of Well, their, they just paid him. He's a part of their future. Like, right. They need to get that guy healthy. Yeah. Uh, so Matty Beneers, 24, 33, 57 points in 78 games. He's shooting uh, 16 plus percent. So that'll probably come down a little bit, but he's pretty much going to win the Calder. Is he the best player on the Kraken? He's got an argument. Um, I mean, Vince Dunn has had a crazy good season <laughs> and has 64 points out of nowhere. Jared McCann, I don't know, just keeps... Shooting close to 20% and scoring 40 goals. Don't know how he's doing it, but he is. Is, is he so. actually Alex Ovechkin? <laughs> uh, well, Ovechkin never had high shooting percentages because he's such a volume shooter. 17 yeah. shots a game. He's more Stamkos than Ovechkin. Okay. Um, Beneers, he's been ice cold a lot of the second half, although he's heated up a little more recently. But it's a weak rookie class, and he was so good the first half that he basically won it then. He won it then, so he'll get it. And he'll get to play playoff games, which is fun, and it's a good story. And there's nothing wrong with 57 points as a rookie. And his impacts are good, underlying numbers, all that stuff. He plays uh, a lot on the power play. He Didn't he first... just dress up as the Easter Bunny? He did. He was the Easter Bunny <laughs> oh, for gosh. the Kraken, which is pretty humorous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Owen Power, four goals, 31 assists in, uh, for 35 points in 76 games. Um, his defensive numbers haven't been great from what I've seen. You think he's probably going to get a little bit better. He's not the most offensive defenseman. He's also playing on a team that plays virtually no defense in Buffalo. Um, and he's kind of been shouldering a lot of minutes and getting like higher assignments. Right. I mean, so it's not a bad year. Um, it needs to. There needs to be improvement going forward, for sure. And he's had a fine rookie season overall for a young player, and especially a defense where, you know, I think you honestly have to play about 300 games uh, to get a sense of what a defenseman is at the NHL level, and that's multiple seasons worth. So, long way to go for him, and he's only... He's young. He's 20 years old, yeah. so this is a long trek, and he got thrown almost 24 minutes per game, yeah, that's... which is a lot for a young player. Yeah. And it's hard to separate when you look at his underlying numbers, team effects versus himself, because the Sabres just play a lot of uh, high-scoring games. And to his credit, his offensive impacts are really, really good. Uh, he gets to play on, on the power play, although Darlene gets the top, top assignments. Sure. So 
And there's a lot of growth still to go with power. Can but they I, play together or no? Not on the power play, but just like could you pair them together or would you se- would you separate them? Well, they're both left shot, and I think if you got to a scenario where power is really tilting the ice consistently and Darlene is really good, then having them on two different pairs that they Makes can sense. both command would make a lot of sense. So yep. we'll see how his career develops, but nothing wrong with that rookie year. He'll probably finish top four to five in Calder voting. Um, I think Skinner and Edmonton will be ahead of him, and I think Michelli in Arizona might be ahead of him, but he'll probably finish top five. Okay. Cam York uh, from several years back now, 217 for 19 points in 52 games. He didn't really play the full year. I think he got called up, what, like early to mid-year and played, you know, two-thirds of a year-ish. He was okay. Uh, He's also on Philly, which is an interesting team, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah, he's done fine, it seems like. I haven't watched a ton of him in Philly, but... um, Don't watch a lot of Flyers games, do you? But I mean, he's playing real minutes, 19 and a half minutes. I mean, that's borderline first pair of minutes, and he's playing on the power play. And 19 points, the defensive impacts look all right. And I, I like Cam York a lot. I think he'll be a, a solid player. Uh, Kent Johnson, 16-24 for 40 in 76 games. But he's doing it with Columbus, which is well, saying a little bit. He's shooting 14%, which is uh, high-ish, maybe. Um, room to grow, but probably better than maybe we expected out of the gate. I know you and I were both a little skeptical of him uh, and his beginnings in the NHL, but he's producing a little bit, and um, he's not probably not going to get 20 goals, but he's kind of close. It's interesting how he's being used, because he's only playing 14 minutes a night, so he's basically second line with not a ton of power play time, like second, second unit time. He's all right. Um... Columbus is such a mess that it, it will be interesting to see when they when they become more competent and they want to be more competent next year. The plan is they're going to be aggressive and that this is not a long rebuild. So okay. maybe he'll get that chance next season. Um, you know all those free agents that just flood to Columbus every year, right? Well, they shelled out a lot of money last year. And, and might get the number one pick. Yeah, very strange story. And that's despite Gaudreau being really good for them. Yeah, it's, that no one just, will ever know. It's just everything else went wrong. <laughs> yeah, so. including what we said earlier, Wierenski missing the whole year. But Johnson, he pulled off the Michigan goal uh, on the oh, anniversary yeah. of the original. Of the Mike leg. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that was neat. I don't know. We'll see what happens when he gets a little bit older. His teammate Nick Blankenberg is still there. Uh, four goals, 10 assists for 14 points in 36 games. He also had some injuries, also playing in Columbus where their defense isn't great overall. Uh, this feels like, like you said, everything else went wrong. And part of it was, you know, barely getting to play half a season because he was hurt for at least a month or more. He had that play where he got whacked in the face by Nylander. Oh, yeah. And that was, I don't know why, what happened with that, why he was doing that. But I, I remember there was a quote after the game. I don't remember if it was from Nylander or from different teammate, but it was basically like, I don't really know why I whacked that little guy. <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. And that was Nick Blankenberg, yeah. that little guy. <laughs> hey, there were times when people were wondering if he was even going to play in the NHL, and yep. he's stuck it out. I think he even has a deal for next year. And he's gonna. I think he's gonna end up being like a sixth, seventh guy that that bounces a little bit back and forth from the AHL. Well, and he can, you know, has some bit of offense. Scored four goals, which yep. is not bad for a guy 
near the end of uh, the bottom of your defense. Um, and then Thomas Bortolo, uh, only really up for six games. He got an assist. You know, the Sharks are really bad. Um, but he did have a really good AHL year. Like, he was in the AHL All-Star game and, like, I think was in their skills competition. He, I think he had a bunch of AHL points. He, it's to, to me, it's a matter of time before he gets some time with the Sharks. It just depends on when they decide to call him up. But. Yeah, he was an uh, AHL All-Star. He got to play in the All-Star game in Laval, which was pretty cool for him. And then he got called up right at the end of the year, just in time to ruin the tank for the Sharks, <laughs> even though it's not really him doing it. He only has one point, but yeah. I don't know why. The Sharks got all the way down to last in the league with a hard remaining schedule. And then they were like, we're going to win four games in a row. Just going to like... It middle finger ourselves yeah. and the other teams that are excited to play us. But the one the one bright spot is is Eric Carlson getting to 100 points, which is... There you go. That rocks. Uh, JT Comfer ha- is having a career year. 17 goals, 35 assists for 52 points in 79 games. And he's not even shooting a crazy amount. It's about 11%. Um, and, what, th- and what year is it? Contract year. Contract year. So the thing with him is that um, he's been getting second line center minutes for Colorado pretty much all year due to some injuries and some inconsistencies at that particular spot in their lineup. Um, He's probably going to price himself out of Colorado. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I've seen reports that he'll get probably like four to five mil a year, somewhere in that range. Um, It'll be, it's, you know, he's probably not a second line center. He's maybe too expensive for a third line center. So you're kind of like, I'm not 100% sure what to think of him. He's been very good for Colorado and very dependable, does a lot of things. I obviously, as an Avs fan, wouldn't mind keeping him, but I wouldn't want to pay him probably what his market value would be. I feel comfortable going to four. I wouldn't go beyond that probably. Yeah. Um, Well, he's getting three and a half now. Yeah. So so if if someone, someone will probably pay him five, and then at that point you can just sort of... Let him go, but he's a useful player to have in your middle six. You just got to be careful. And he does everything of the contract here. Yeah, I've also Swiss heard his um, type player. His his trash talking is really good because he gives no emotion, and so he just kind of says things without um, really getting any sort of an emotional response. I, I've heard just different people talk about how uh, amusing that is, and um, he's also uh, the the twi- they have his, uh, official Twitter account gives him a hard time for just being uh, Jesse's brother. <laughs> who is uh, a really good women's player. So anyway, good year for JTC. Uh, Jack Johnson, uh, he has doubled his goal total from last year, going from one to two. And he's, the, the Avs picked him up at the deadline. He was playing, wasn't he playing like top pair minutes with Chicago? Yes, or, he was. <laughs> that should tell you everything about that you need to know about what Chicago's trying to do this year. Um, and the Avs gave up, I think, like a sixth or fifth round pick for him. And has actually played almost every game since they got him back. Uh, for whatever reason, um, and not saying anything negative about him, uh, because he, there's no reason not to like him. But he's one of the most likable guys, I guess, in the league. That's that, why he's still around. And, well, I mean, he's also, he played a key role for Colorado to win the cup last year and is actually filled in nicely. Yeah, he, as, he manages to work with the Avalanche for some reason. That, like, everywhere else he goes, he's, like, actively the worst defenseman in the NHL. And then he goes to Colorado and he just kind of carves a little role and he's a very likable person. And so it just kind of works. He, it was really funny because when the Avs raised their cup banner, they were playing Chicago. And so... 
you know, they introduce yeah, their yeah. team and everybody comes over to take the picture when it happens. And Jack comes out of the Chicago locker room to join them because it was just a very, so it's a bunch of people in Avs jerseys and then like one Blackhawks jersey guy, which was on the team last year. It was a very interesting thing. Um, but he's a guy that like, yeah, like you said, he kind of fits. And I, I would, I guess I wouldn't be shocked depending on what the Avs have to do next year if he gets another seven fifty eight hundred thousand dollar one year deal because he's fit in perfectly and he doesn't really seem to get hurt. Yeah, I mean if he's so. comfortable doing the you know the, the sixth seventh defenseman the Wayne guy. Simmons thing where you yeah. sit in the press box a lot of nights, which no reason why he wouldn't. I mean there's nothing wrong with it. Well if he fits on you your know team. he was a highly touted guy who, you know, didn't really get to play in meaningful games for a lot of his career. Yeah. And now it's like it's sort of like him and Cogliano, the next guy we're gonna get to is like, hey, these are the best teams we've ever been on. Yeah. Do I want to hang it up now, or do I want to stick it out another year or two? So we'll transition to Cogliano. Uh, Ten goals. First time in, I think, five years for him that he's hit double digits. Most goals in, since, I think, 17, 18, I read earlier. 19 points. He's basically a fourth liner. Um, but uh, as the Avs podcast I listen to says, this like the guy's made is something that just doesn't get hurt. Like He's always healthy. Uh, the yeah. The... The knock on him a little bit this year is he's taken a lot of penalties and kind of some dumb ones. And, you know, when you're a fourth-line guy, one thing you can't really do is be in the box all the time. That was the whole thing with the Estapa thing, right? It's like everybody loved the free Estapa chant. And I'm just kind of like, uh, if you're fourth-line guys it, are in it the box. It depends on what you're doing, right? Like if you're in the box just constantly taking tripping penalties, that's yeah. bad. If you're in the box because you're getting four-on-four roughings and stuff like that and you're trying well, just to be a tough guy, then it's yeah. different. It, it's, it's fine if you're getting matching. Sure. Whatever. But if you're giving up power plays, then, like, we can find someone else who won't do that. I think we were talking about this recently, but I'm pretty sure that Cogs is the all-time games played leader among Michigan alumni. That sounds correct. He hit 1,100 this year. Or Jack Jack hit 1,100, too. No, he hit 12-something. Yeah, Cogliano's at 1,217. I mean, well, because he had that Ironman streak for about 800 games early in his career. So it goes a long way. And he's a guy, too, with the Avs cap situation that if he probably wants to be a fourth liner or a fringe guy guy, next year, too. Yeah, I mean, he could stick with the Avs. He could go to any contender and they'd find a a cheap role on him. Yeah, because he's a a work hard. Sure. And he just, and he will block any shots, even yeah. shots where you're like, eh, maybe not right now, guy. Yeah. But I mean, Tampa's run Corey Perry out there and Pat Maroon. <laughs> like, there's there's plenty of teams you can go to and find a niche. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Mott. Um, I think the most notable thing about Tyler Mott is this is the second straight year that he got traded to the Rangers at the deadline. Yeah, the Rangers just can't quit Tyler Mott. <laughs> they... And he, his well, numbers so, are... So what I heard was that they wanted him in to keep him in the offseason. And then oh. the cap space, it just didn't work out. And well, that so was then, Jack Johnson for Colorado. So then, yeah, so he signs with um, Ottawa, Ottawa, and then they send him back to New York. He he took a really rough hit um, like a month or two back from Austin Watson, which was a bit unfortunate because Watson's also from the area, mm-hmm. uh, but also kind of a scumbag on the ice. I mean, it was a dangerous hit, and it was one that I watched, and you just kind of like, oh, boy, because... You know, Mott's had issues with concussions. He's been concussed before. And when I saw that, I was really, really scared. But thankfully, he he got through it, I guess. And he's he's in the lineup, and he's going to play in the playoffs for them. So uh, that'll be fun. Well, you know, he was the third member of the CCM line. And obviously, we know what Kyle Connor is. And 
Comfer has become a pretty good middle six player yeah, it's, in it's his career. It's fun that they all kind of found their role. One right. guy became a, a star, one guy became a solid middle lineup guy, and one guy became a, a checker. Well, and, and Mott was, I mean, he didn't really jump in right away and didn't really stick. He's bounced around. I remember in yeah. the bubble year, he, he made some noise with Vancouver. He's not really producing a whole lot. I think what he's is a, he? He's had? a fourth liner. Eight, not eight, eleven. I mean, and people love him for his penalty killing ability. Yeah, I and mean, he's a specialist. But you can find a role. He's also getting married this summer. Fun oh, fact. Good so, for him. Yep. Uh, his teammate Jacob Truba, eight twenty-two and thirty in eighty-one games. He's the captain of the Rangers. Um, he's known for absolutely rocking guys. Yeah, that's his new thing. <laughs> he's known now on the league for being the new Scott Stevens. He's probably making a little bit too much money to not produce a little more. Probably. Um, I, I think his cap hit's probably 2 or $3 million too high, but he's a useful player. And Is he a second pair? Yeah. Um, he's he's on that pair with uh, Keandre Miller, who okay. we used to see at Wisconsin. Yeah. He's one of my favorite players. He's so good. And I think Miller honestly drives that pair at this point, but... The Rangers lean so hard. They have the Fox pair, and then they have Truba and Miller, and, and they don't even bother with their third pair, really, in the playoffs. So you'll get to see a lot of Truba in the playoffs. And in a probably a great series with what will most likely be Jersey? Yeah. We'll see. It could be the Canes, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> how is this guy still around? Luke Lendenning is still in the league on a playoff team. He's going to be in the playoffs. He's played in 700 games. I remember watching him. I think he started on the club team at Michigan, ended up being the captain for, I think, two years. He was the captain for the um, Big Chill, I believe, for Michigan. But his thing is he wins face-offs and he skates minutes. Yeah, he wins face-offs, and there's nothing that an NHL coach loves more than a guy who wins face-offs. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, that's, right? Like, Glendening, that's the template for Johnny Beecher, right? Like, just... Just win a bunch of face-offs? And, and Beecher's got way more upside, because he's a better skater, and he's way bigger. Like, yeah. Well, just, he's a first-round pick. Just figure out how to win face-offs at 58%, and it's pretty high. you can have a whole career for Apparently. Because uh, I, mean, I think his line is, like, 3-3-6 or something. Like, he has six points. And yeah, I mean... It's not... Scoring isn't really his thing, but um, he's like the guy in in the lacrosse game that wins the face off <laughs> passes it and then runs over <laughs> to the side so john merrill uh two nine and eleven basically just now a depth defenseman um with i think minnesota he's been yeah, he's gonna be he's in like, the playoffs too he's won all these guys pretty much are playoff players uh actually i think all of them are that we just talked about um in this last section here um He's basically what prevents events. He doesn't let his teammates shoot, and he and he doesn't let anyone else shoot. So when he's on the ice, nothing happens. He is a guy that when he's out there, not much happens. Generally yeah. speaking, um, and that fits for Minnesota. They're yeah. totally happy about that. Just don't do anything and hope to get a goal and win one nothing. <laughs> uh, and then the last guy that I found, and I don't even know if he he hasn't played a ton, but Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah, he's in the league. Played he's... 28 games, and he has a 6-4 and 10 yeah, for 10. Yeah, he's the second most goals of his career. Six <laughs> goals. Well, a per game average, he right? Was, pretty he good. was in the AHL mostly with uh, Abbotsford, and then he got called up to Vancouver. And Yeah, I think he's at like 270 total games or something like that. Yeah, 229 for his career. 229, I mean, he's, okay. he's like a He's a quadruple-A player. Yeah, um, like a Cooper, uh, probably better, better than, than Marody. Marody. Yeah. Marody's a career AHLer. Um, well, I did not think this podcast was going to go as long as it did, but once again, we are giving you plenty of prime Michigan-themed hockey content 
do you have anything left to add? I know we've uh, talked about a bunch of stuff. Uh, not really. It's the, um, you know, this is the end of the kind of uh, winter sports season. So was a fun year, but we've got some uh, baseball and softball, which we'll, have, we'll write about at some point. We'll have probably two more, uh, I would say, on the horizon. One doing uh, like team and player grades, another one kind of looking ahead to next year. Unless, of course, that is that Craig Ross decides to take over this and force Alex to watch replays of Michigan softball from this year and all the games going forward. Um are you going to attempt to do a watch along with Craig Ross for a Michigan softball game? No. <laughs> what? Not not this year. Maybe what, in a future. What season. if he? What if he uh, threatens you? Would would you would you cave? Can you can you picture Craig threatening anyone? I, it, that's hard, I guess. So, uh, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Nope. Nope. Good. All right. Well, uh, not the podcast that we hoped for on this day. Uh, we hope to be a little bit. Uh, more exciting and probably uh, like passed out from not sleeping but unfortunately that was not to be um, but hopefully next year Thank you for listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.24 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week where we will have the report cards out in its grading season. Mm-hmm.